kids are dismissed. Head on downstairs, find Molly in the back. <laughs> Such a, an amazing thing to watch the kids just <laughs> every week. God is uh, so good. I don't know how how uh, well we remember just um, how blessed we are. Amen. I mean, we have so many things to be thankful for, and and uh, that song just kind of reminds us that um, God's at work. He's doing some really amazing things, but uh, we can miss it if we don't pay attention to giving him all the praise for that. So um, it's interesting. Uh, this morning we were gathered in our prayer time. Uh, we had our prayer team with our praise band. And uh, I do, I just want to say really quickly that um, what a blessing our, our praise band is. Amen. I mean, just, um, just the fact that, I mean, the worship is authentic, um, and that's really what we're here to do, is just to authentically bow before the Lord and just honor Him. Um, but every every Sunday we get together with the prayer team and uh, the praise band and myself, and uh, just spend some time in prayer, lifting up the day, lifting up each other. And this morning, um, as we were doing that, um, Marty South was, was on the prayer team this morning, and and he mentioned in the prayer something that I had said a few weeks ago um, about uh, not necessarily liking the term pastor. Um, do you, you remember me saying that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know it's weird. Okay, I understand that it is weird. Um, and, but the thing is, it has nothing. I don't, I don't care about the term pastor one way or the other, really. It's the the strangeness in in my own um, mind, I guess, thinking about myself. I don't see myself in a couple of things. I don't necessarily see myself worthy for that term, in a sense. Like that, that's kind of strange to me that I am a pastor, and a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I think that's strange too." <laughs> But, but uh, the, the strangeness, um, in a sense, really is, is the fact that um, I don't necessarily see myself as really being different um, than any other Christian person, okay? Um, at some point in my life, I went from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. For whatever reason, and I still don't understand it, okay, I've, I've lived my whole life trying to wrap my mind around it, but I don't understand why God would call me to serve him in, in ministry. Um, but I just felt and knew that that was what he was calling me to do. It was just, that was his his choice for my life, and so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. But I don't, I don't find that uh, the, the Christian life for a pastor should be any different than the Christian life for any other person. Um, and so the, uh, 
the issue you know, that we're going to look at here this morning is this, this strange phenomenon, basically. You know, I look around our congregation and, uh, you know, I see a lot of lives that, that have been impacted by Jesus, um, have been impacted by other Christians. And that was what happened for me. Uh, I didn't become convinced of Jesus as Messiah, um, having all my questions answered and um, solving the, the whole riddle of, of who God is, and then, okay, I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to now follow Jesus. That, that's not how it happened for me. I don't think that happens for very many people. What happened for me was I, I believed that these things were true, but I didn't really apply them to my life. Then I came into contact with some authentic Christian people who showed me the difference between being a fan and being a follower. And it struck me so powerfully that it motivated me to want to give Jesus my life. And it actually was the people of God that began to affect me before the encounter with Christ himself just kind of moved me in that direction. Um, and I think that for a lot of people, that is what happens. Um, it, whether you, you, know, you think about your own story, how your, your walk with the Lord uh, has you know, been affected, changed, um, how you've grown, whatever the case may be, how you came to be a believer, or maybe you're not yet there. Maybe you're you're still kind of wondering, like, when is this going to happen, or should this happen, or do I really believe, or why are so many things causing me so much doubt, or frustration, or concern, or questions, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know that a sermon necessarily will get you there. Um, I do find that an encounter with an authentic Christian person who loves the Lord, not, not that their life is perfect, and not that they're living it perfectly, but that they're, they're faithfully seeking after Christ and going through whatever they're going through, pointing people to Jesus through it all, unintentionally or intentionally, and then highlighting the, the fact that uh, we have a God that we can trust brings people into that place of just... I need that in my life. There's no power in being a, a fan from a distance. And there's no answer that is going to ever solve or settle all the questions that you have. Um, but there is a change that happens when you encounter the authentic people of God who then move you into a real relationship with Jesus. Amen? And how that happens, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I knew exactly. But what we're going to do, we're going to look at um, the rising popularity of Jesus. And, and what happened before we get into this story is that uh, there were a lot of people who thought that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet refused to follow him. 
I, can't, I cannot wrap my mind around that. It's hard for me to, to grasp. But I know that we live in a world that has the same problem. Jesus is a, a good teacher, but somehow people are still not convinced that he's worthy to follow. Um, but we'll, we'll di- dig into that a little bit. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. John 6, 14 and 15. So we're just reading the basically the conclusion of the feeding of the 5,000. It's... Um, it's a miracle that Jesus performed that all four Gospels record, um, which highlights its, its significance. It's such a significant thing, um, and it's so significant that it leads to this conclusion. Uh, it says, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And Lord, um, if we had our choice, we would would force you to become king too. Lord, this world needs needs you. It it, uh, desperately needs your healing, your power, your wisdom, your guidance, your strength, your repair. (laughs) But uh, Lord, we know that you're doing something beyond anything we can grasp, understand, conceive of, Lord, that you're you're leading this world into um, the conclusion that will ultimately give you the most glory. And uh, you're rescuing people. You're rescuing them from sin, Lord, Day in and day out, right and left, Lord, we see uh, so much of, of how you love to just draw people into hope, into a, a new place of faith. Um, Lord, in the midst of the worst circumstances we can imagine people living through, uh, they, they grasp the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we pray that whether we're um, fans or followers, Lord, every single person would come into direct and permanently changing contact with you. This morning, right now, Lord, that you would move among us, Lord, move um, really in between every, every person and just put your hand on their shoulder and just let them know how much you love them, care for them, and want them to just know you. God, we'll give you all the praise for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the story here... Um, like I said, concludes with Jesus basically coming to this point where the people want to make him king. Now, how this happens um, is that they actually believe and understand correctly that he is the Messiah. Um, And so you would think that their conclusion to make him king is, you know, maybe to us that seems strange, like, well, 
We know as Christians that he was going to be the savior of the world. He's going to die on the cross. And everybody who puts their faith in him forever has the opportunity to become part of that kingdom. And they're looking at it a little bit more uh, short-sightedly. You know, they're looking at their particular situation. Um, but let's just trace this back, okay, a little bit through history, a little bit through the Old Testament, because they weren't necessarily completely wrong in, in some of their assumptions, okay? What happens is that in um, John 5, Jesus proves, okay, he proves with all the evidence, all the testimony, all the witness that is available that he is indeed the Messiah. The Old Testament had been prophesying from day one that uh, there would be a Savior. There would be one person that God would send who would save the world, that he would be the one that would usher in uh, a new, brand new age where the Jewish people, God's people, would reign with this Messiah, with this Christ, with this Savior, and the world would totally change, okay? It's been prophesying that, prophesying that, and then Jesus says um, in John chapter 5, verse 32, begins here. He says, there's, there's another who bears witness about me, okay? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about his Father. There's, there's another who bears witness about me, uh, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, he's saying that because he has said that he bears witness about himself. And they're saying, well, your witness, your testimony about yourself isn't valid because the law says you have to have the witness of two people for it to be valid. And he, so he's kind of explaining that there's another who bears witness. And, he's, and basically what he's saying is that, listen, you want testimony and, and witness, valid witness, you want the law uh, then here's, I'm going to give you the rundown of everything and everyone that bears witness about me. He says, there's another who bears witness about me. Okay, but before we get there, he says, you sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the people and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious rulers, all of them uh, believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. They believed that he was somebody sent from God. In fact, they went and asked John, if he is the Messiah, they, even though John didn't do a miracle, even though John, if you look at his qualifications, he did not line up with the right qualifications to be the Messiah because his message was so powerful and so many people were coming to hear him and he spoke the truth powerfully for God. The, the people were saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we were to expect? And what does John do? He says, no, I'm not. Okay, it's Jesus. And he points to Jesus and he testifies that Jesus is the one who is the Savior of the world. He's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. He's pointing to that. And he said, why don't you just believe John? You, you hold that John's a prophet? He bore witness about me. Go down a few verses and, and uh, talking about the same event. It says, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus he says, okay, whether or not you believe John, Look at the things that I do. Um, I heal the sick. In fact, the miracles that Jesus does are so earth-shattering, okay, that they'd never seen this. They'd never even seen it recorded in all of the Old Testament. You had some, some miracle workers like Elijah and Elisha who were able to do some things that are just amazing, and Jesus is able to do 
Um, infinitely more than that. And it's infinitely more for a couple reasons. One reason is that he does things they never did. Okay, he, he gives a person born blind sight. He does, that's never been seen or recorded in, in history. We have never seen somebody just speak and then the, the dead rise. And, and yet Jesus had the power to do that. Now, it's infinitely more because it's not just the things that he does are more significant, but because he does it by his own authority. He has the authority to call things out. He can calm storms. He can walk on water. He can multiply food. He can do all these things. And it is by his own power. The prophets of the Old Testament... They relied on the power of God to do those things. Jesus had the power in himself because he is God. He says, just look at the miracles that I do. In fact, he's going to confirm this with his disciples. They're kind of struggling when Jesus is telling them that he's going to go uh, be with the Father, that he's going to die. And they're like wondering about this. They don't want to see this happen. And so Jesus says, well, okay, it's hard. These, these things that I'm teaching you are difficult, but at least... Um, if you need confirmation, look at the miracles that I've done. And if you can believe the miracles that I've done, and they've seen him do all of it, okay, they've been had a front row seat to everything that he'd done, then you can trust his words. Amen? Now, we could just pause there for a second. If you have seen God at work in your life, then you can confirm that the Lord has been with you, he has has moved in your life. He has confirmed your faith. He's, he's done something in your life that couldn't be explained by natural process. Okay, and a lot of people, if not most of us, have had an experience like that at some point in their life. Amen? What Jesus says in that instant is that if you have that confirmation about the activity of God in your life, then... Take a step back and trust his word. And what is interesting for a lot of Christian people is that they want more experiences with God, but then when it comes to the Bible, they start questioning and pulling it apart and arguing with God almost of what he's said. You know God's real. Then come back to his word and trust what he says. Amen. So he says, there's another witness, uh, my activity, my, my miracles. And then he says uh, in verse 37, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He's talking about uh, his baptism specifically. The father said from heaven, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. John testified that he had heard that, but it was the father's testimony about Jesus. He says, there's another testimony. Uh, he says uh, in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that uh, in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, this is interesting. Okay, I, I recently was in Israel, and that passage in and of itself comes to life when you're in Israel because what you see everywhere is, especially in Jerusalem, okay, among the, the Orthodox Jewish people, is that there is such a, a legalistic, religious fervor, okay, to, to try to get uh, everything right, 
to, to win God's favor, to make sure that they're not failing God in, in any way. Um, you just see it's plastered everywhere. Um, we went to Tiberias, okay, that's uh, in Galilee, by, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a big city, and it was, um, it was there when Jesus was alive. It, it was just kind of a brand new city at that point, um, but it was still a major city in Jesus' day. Still there 2,000 years later. The, uh, and Tiberius, I did not know this about Tiberius when we went there, but um, as we were traveling, uh, our tour guide talked about Tiberius. He said, uh, this is a major holy city. I think it's the third holiest city in Israel. Okay, The Jewish people consider it the third holiest city in Israel. Um, and the reason why is because the... The author, okay, the person who wrote the Mishnah, um, wrote the Mishnah. He was in was buried in Tiberias. Okay, and I don't, how many of you know what the Mishnah is? Okay, a few of you are familiar. The Mishnah was written around 200 A.D. Okay, 200 years after Christ, and what it is is a, a book of uh, the specific application of the law, okay, the rabbinical teachings, the rabbis, the teachers of the law, uh, how they have precisely um, guided the Jewish people historically how to do everything that was written in the law. And the Orthodox Jewish people actually hold the Mishnah as equal with the Old Testament, equal authority. And what the Mishnah does is it tells them exactly how to... I mean, I'm, I'm reading the Mishnah right now. I'm trying to make my way through it. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. But um, it, it's telling the, the, the Jewish people that um, when it says uh, to recite the Shema, the Shema is, is Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, uh, They are taking that passage and they're saying that there are very specific ways that you have to do that. You have to do it when you get up in the morning. You have to do it when you go to bed at night. You have to do it when you walk along the road, and you have to nail it to your doorposts and to your fence posts. So every hotel room I've ever stayed in in Israel has what they call a mezuzah. Okay, and a mezuzah is this little box that um, you put on every uh, doorway in your homes in Israel, and inside, it has a little scroll that has the Shema in it, okay? The, the, the scripture, that passage, it's in that little box, it's on every doorpost, and that passage is blessed by a rabbi in order for it to be kosher. Um, so that they're trying to, I mean, can you picture, okay, the, the extent to which they're trying to go legalistically to to every detail of what they think they need to do in order for God to bless them. Okay, and that's just one little instance. And there are so many things like that, that they are, and this is a book of like a thousand pages in small writing of every way that you have to apply everything in the law. And here's what it says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That's what's happening in Jesus' day. That's what's still happening today. Um, it's they that bear witness about me. 
everything in scripture that we see that was this legalistic ritual or religious, you know, application. It was intended, in one sense, to give us the understanding that we could never perfectly measure up. That a human being cannot, no matter how hard they try, get it all right all the time. We cannot be perfect. But that there would be a Messiah who would fulfill the law, who would do everything under the law perfectly, and then give us a transfer of his righteousness. That the whole Old Testament spoke to the reality of the Messiah. He says, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It, it, what a strange thing that people would prefer to try to follow a lot of rules rather than to come to a personal savior. They're still doing it. Then he says, um, in verse 46, he says, you believe, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He's saying the wit there are seven times that Jesus talks about witnesses um, that testify that he's the Messiah. Seven different specific times. It's John's way of saying uh, there's a perfect witness that Jesus is the Messiah. All the evidence gives us this confirmation that Jesus really is the Messiah that was to come into the world. Chapter 6 of John then tells us that there's a significant moment where it says 5,000 men, probably could possibly up to 20,000 people in one moment understood the reality of what was happening, that Jesus was taking just a tiny little bit of food and he was feeding thousands and thousands of people just like Moses had done, kind of, in the Old Testament, when the people were wandering in the wilderness, they received manna. And, then, and they believed that the Messiah would feed the people, kind of like Moses did in the Old Testament with manna. Now, it, it's funny to me, because if you go back and you read uh, Numbers chapter 11, how many of you are big fans of the book of Numbers? I've tried for years to encourage people to read the book of Numbers because it really is a fantastic story. I mean, there's so many things in the book of Numbers that are awesome. Uh, there are a lot of numbers, but there are also a lot of great stories. But in ch chapter 11, it talks about uh, the Jewish people having manna, okay? And the word manna, okay, it means, what is it? And it's not like complimentary, okay? It's like, what is this stuff? And that's what manna means. And in chapter 11, the people complain relentlessly about manna. They don't like it. I mean, they, it, it sounds like it was probably pretty good. It, you make it into a, some kind of a flour, and it's like a flour that when you bake it, it, it's bread that tastes like it has olive oil and honey. It doesn't sound bad at all. But they were looking back to the delicacies of Egypt and all that, that they had left, and they wanted meat, and they wanted onions and garlic and all the... I don't like onions and garlic, but they, they loved that stuff. And they weren't getting all the fruits and vegetables. that They had manna, and they, they were mad about that. And yet when Jesus comes and he gives them this, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, multiplies the bread... In their minds, 
it really didn't have much to do with how good the food was. It had to do with the evidence that this really is the prophet that was to come. Moses says in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, he says in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And he's telling them that the Messiah will do things like I have done. And the people believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what boggles my mind. They believe he's the Messiah. And then there's this, a problem, okay? And the problem is, and they want him to become king right now. Which, again, is not really wrong in one sense. The Old Testament said that the Messiah was going to usher in the new age of the Jewish people ruling the world, okay? And Daniel chapter 7, and starting like verse 13, it says, I saw this vision, okay, Daniel sees a vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It's going to last forever and ever. And there are many passages in the Old Testament that testify to the very same reality, that the Messiah would usher in a new kingdom and it would take over the entire world. They understood Jesus is the Messiah. This is what the Messiah is going to do. Let's go. Not necessarily wrong, but when Jesus says, not the right time, not the right order, Remember Isaiah 53, something has to happen first, says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay, you read the whole chapter, it's just amazing detail, but he says, He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The Messiah, before he became the, the ruling king, would be a suffering servant. And they wanted to leap over that and get to the conclusion of all the blessings and all the rewards and all the glory. And I can understand that. I can understand that why you would want to do that. But here's what happens. They're convinced by the evidence that he's the Messiah. But as soon as their expectation wasn't met, what did they do? You read through the rest of John chapter 6. And Jesus begins to confront them. All you want is what you want. You want your expectations met. You want your prayers answered the way that you want them answered. You want the blessings and the food and, and all the material things that you expect. You want all those things. He says that that's not the way it's going to work. And what did they do? Instead of saying, okay, well, you're the Messiah. You tell us how it's going to go. I mean, would you think that'd be a, maybe a good response? Like, okay, maybe I have my, my uh, motivations wrong. Maybe my expectations are wrong. Jesus, you tell us what should we expect. But they don't do that. They just leave, and they begin to walk away, and they begin to just stop following. And all these people who have been 
clamoring to hear Jesus, to see his miracles, to be affected by that, as soon as they don't get what they want, they stop following. Now, listen, this is where (laughs) the world has never really changed, okay? Our world is the same as it has always been. People are the same as they've always been. And this is the same reaction that we still struggle with today. That many people, if not most people, are fans of God. If God will do for them what they want him to do. And sometimes we we do kind of experience in these small ways God confirming that he does love and care for us and we will feel that maybe it's a, a moment of peace, maybe it's a moment of, of joy, maybe it's a moment of relief, maybe it's something that God uh, you know, takes away a, a, a situation or steps into a situation, we kind of feel that moment. And some people are, what, for lack of a better term, fair, fair-weather fans of God. While things are going well, I'm okay to to follow or worship or believe in. But as soon as things aren't going my way, I'm going to, I'm hitting the road. Because how dare God not give me what I want? But here's the, the thing. Like I said, I don't necessarily think that people who are in that camp are going to be changed by a message necessarily. I, I mean, I hope they would be. Um, but what I do believe is that people who are at a distance from God and, and struggling with their expectations, what's going to really change and, and flip them into a, a new life in Christ is not going to be a message. It's going to be a, a person. It's going to be a believer who is going to walk beside them, who is going to show them that even though um, life is not always the way I expected it to be or the way that I planned it to be or the way that I want it to be, I know that Jesus is still at work in my life. He's worthy to be trusted, that I can confirm over and over and over how God has, has done works in my life that I can't deny and faithfully following the Lord. In that light that you shine can make a difference in somebody's life. And if I can just encourage you, here's what I, I, I'm concerned with, I, I think, feel about so many Christian people, maybe it's something I've struggled with myself too, that you feel like you're, you're just not making much of a difference. You ever feel that way? Like, maybe it's, it's not just that you're not making a difference. It's, it's almost like you're just struggling to hold on for yourself. Like, I'm just I'm trying to not lose it. <laughs> I'm just trying not to, to be so discouraged with the world that I see around me, that the situations of, of life that are just, you know, I'm, I'm almost sometimes just sick of myself. You ever feel that way? Like, how come I can't find that, that 
joy that some people seem to have. I'm, I'm always struggling just to, to, to not lose my cool or to not be stressed or not be anxious about the things that are going on around me. And I'm telling you that um, you and I, as followers of Christ, this is exactly what we were called to. This time, this moment, the, the pain and the darkness that we see around us, to trust the Lord in it and through it, is the witness and the testimony that makes a difference. To persevere through that, to know that, that God's plan is bigger. I mean, we see all this stuff happening in the world. I mean, we, we have potentially World War III literally on the, on the doorstep. And it's scary. And yet, I know that this is the moment that Christians need to stand even more firm in hope. That God is in control. And as a believer, not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged that now's the time we can make the most difference. When the world is losing its mind, to be a person who's confident in God, who is steadfast in Jesus, and to walk side by side with him no matter what you face. Um, I want to take a little time uh, when we conclude. Um, one of the things that happened um, as Jesus really talks to his disciples about the reality of, of trusting him is that he asks them, he says straight up, um, do you want to leave? And uh, Peter actually says, um, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. He didn't understand the plan. He didn't understand, I mean, obviously, Peter did not get that Jesus was going to go to the cross. But he knew enough to, to stay close to trust him, to believe in him, regardless of whatever he's going to experience. And I want to apply that, not only to our lives, but really in prayer for the people of Ukraine right now. Um, I don't know how many of you are just burdened uh, for the people of Ukraine. I, I'm, I'm sure many, many people are. Um, but as we have a time of prayer um, I want to invite you to stand with me up front to represent uh, some of the people in Ukraine who are um, in need of our support. Um, we have so many things that are just such a burden on my heart. That, I, I, But one thing is that 
I saw some videos, I don't know if you saw them, of Christians praising God, singing, worshiping the Lord in, in the midst of the attack. Do you see that? And what an encouragement that is to my heart to see Christian people saying, I'm going to be a light no matter what the situation is around me. Uh, I want to pray for the Christians in Ukraine to continue to shine that light. Now's the time uh, where they can offer the most hope uh, in the most dark moments of their history. They can offer some hope. Um, I want to pray for uh, God to rescue people, uh, not just from war. I mean, I pray that God would rescue them from war, but that he would rescue them from their sin, from their separation from him, that this might be a moment for people to flood into the kingdom, to grab a hold of Jesus in a way that they've never grabbed a hold of him before. Amen? Um, and just to lift that up. And so I'm going to ask the, the praise band to come. Um, and while we're singing, um, I'm going to pray, or I'm going to ask you, invite you um, to come and just represent the people of Ukraine. And you don't have to all come up, okay? Um, but as just a, a, a sign of our um, support, prayer, um, if you would come and just kneel for a moment, pray. I'm going to pray as we close, um, just to lift them up. Father, I just, I pray for your Holy Spirit to, uh, first of all, Lord, rescue any and all of us who've been standing at a distance, maybe admiring, maybe even mocking, <laughs> regardless, Lord, but uh, refusing, for whatever reason, to come close to really let you take hold. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grab a hold of, of each and every heart um, that has, has not come into direct contact with Jesus and, and become a follower. Lord, would you, would you show us, show each and every one the true joy, peace, power, confirmation of what it means to have hope for eternity. Would you save a life? Father, I, I lift up your people, God. Um, some of us need a, a recommitment. We need to reestablish the fact. I mean, we, we know that we're saved. We know that, know that we know. Um, but maybe there's been some drifting, some doubts, maybe some sin, whatever it might be. But, Lord, I pray that today would be a day of, of, of recommitment just to come back and say, I'm, I don't, wherever I've been, it's not good. I don't want to come back. Would you bring us back? And, and Lord, I pray for um, the people of Ukraine right now. I pray for your Holy Spirit to to fill that land, to truly um, move in that place, God. Your, your people 
thank you for the, the witness that uh, Christian people have shown us in the midst of what I, I can only imagine is the most hellish nightmare to live through. The fear and the, the uncertainty of it all. God, they are standing on your promises. Some have chosen, intentionally chosen to stay, to be a blessing, to be a witness, not knowing if their life is, is going to be forfeited, but hoping and pray, praying that you would use them to bless those who don't know you, to draw some close, to save some. Father, what a courageous and wonderful testimony that is. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for all the whole church in Ukraine. God, would you raise them up to be a light and a witness, Lord, for your glory. Would you do a work of, of saving in that land, Lord, to draw people close, to see the evidence of, of Jesus lived out, walked out, um, Lord, would you show them that they can have hope? And God, last of all, and maybe just as important, Lord, would you help us as a nation to do something? Lord, the, the only thing evil needs to succeed is for good men to do nothing. God, I pray that that, that would not happen. God, that that we as a church, that we as a people, that we as a nation, Lord, would... Um, know and understand our place in all of this and have the strength and the courage to do whatever needs to be done. God, I don't know what that is, and I, uh, I pray that you would lead us into wisdom, knowledge, understanding. But God, don't let us do nothing. Help us, Lord, to do what you require, what you would ask us to do. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do. And so we commit all this, Lord, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I said, this invitation is a little bit different. Um, I'm just asking that we um, just come and kneel for a moment as we uh, are representatives of, of God's blessing, his power uh, for the people of Ukraine this morning. Okay? Let's stand and sing.